We're going to read the entirety of chapter 2 of the book of Ruth. I'm going to hope that I'm able to take for granted from most of it that you know the story of the book of Ruth, at least the the basic storyline of what happens uh, through the whole book. We'll review some of that, but I want to look at one uh, specific theme that we see in this second chapter. And so we'll begin reading in the first verse of Ruth chapter 2, and as I said, read the whole chapter together. And Naomi had a kinsman of her husband's, a mighty man of wealth of the family of Elimelech, and his name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabitess said unto Naomi, Let me now go to the field and glean ears of corn after him, in whose sight I shall find grace. And she said unto her, Go, my daughter. And she went and came and gleaned in the field after the reapers. And her hap was to light on part of the field belonging unto Boaz, who was of the kindred of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said unto the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered him, The Lord bless thee. Then said Boaz unto his servants that was set over the reapers, whose damsel is this? And the servants that was set over the reapers answered and said, It is the Moabitish damsel that came back with Naomi out of the country of Moab. And she said, I pray you, let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and hath continued even from the morning until now that she tarried a little in the house. Then said Boaz unto Ruth, Harvest thou not, my daughter, I'm sorry, hearest thou not, my daughter, go not to glean in another field, neither go from hence, but abide here fast by my maidens. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go go thou after them. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels, And drink of that which the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face and bowed her face to the ground and said unto him, Why have I found grace in thine eyes that thou shouldest take knowledge of me, seeing I am a stranger? And Boaz answered and said unto her, It hath fully been showed me all that thou hast done unto thy mother-in-law since the death of thine husband, and how thou hast left thy father and thy mother and the land of thy nativity, and art come unto a people which thou knowest not henceforth, or hence to forth. The Lord recompense thy work, and a full reward be given thee of the Lord God of Israel, under whose wings thou art come to trust. Then she said, Let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaiden, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaidens. And Boaz said unto her, At mealtime come thou hither, and eat of the bread, and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers, and he reached her parched corn, and she did eat, and was sufficed, and left. And when she was risen up to glean, Boaz commanded his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and reproach her not. And let fall some of the handfuls of purpose for her, and leave them, 
that she may glean them and rebuke her not. So she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out that she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went unto the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned, and she brought forth and gave to her that she had reserved after she was sufficed. And her mother-in-law said unto her, Where hast thou gleaned today, and where wroughtest thou? Blessed be he that did take knowledge of thee. And she showed her mother-in-law with whom she had wrought, and said, The man's name with whom I wrought today is Boaz. And Naomi said unto her daughter-in-law, Blessed be he of the Lord, who hath not left off his kindness to the living and to the dead. And Naomi said unto her, The man is near of kin unto us, one of our next kinsmen. And Ruth the Moabitess said, He said unto me also, that thou shalt keep fast by my young men until they have ended all my harvest. And Naomi said unto Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that thou go not unto thy, that thou go not, that thou go out with his maidens, that they meet thee not in any other field. So she kept fast by the maidens of Boaz to glean unto the end of barley harvest and of wheat harvest, and dwelt with her mother-in-law. Amen. We'll end the Bible reading there at the end of chapter 2. And having read the scriptures, let's seek the Lord in prayer. Let's ask his help as we come to consider this chapter this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we do need help from heaven as we have our Bibles open now and as we seek to consider your word. We pray that you would speak to us, encourage us, challenge us from the scriptures. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Ruth is a book of scripture that demonstrates to us the theme of the sovereignty and the providence of God. In a way like few other entire books of scripture do, obviously the theme of providence and the theme of sovereignty is one that is common throughout the scriptures, but the entire book of Ruth would point our attention to that particular theme. The events we read about here occurred during the time of the Judges. I mentioned you find this book. You go Joshua, Judges, and then the book of Ruth. And it's not just a coincidence of the way the books are laid out in the Old Testament scriptures, but we do have the book of Ruth occurring in that same period of time. It was a time of political economic, and social chaos. If you read through the book of Judges or listen to an audio version of the book of Judges, you will very often leave off the end of the chapter scratching your head wondering why in the world did the Lord put that in the Bible. There are stories in the book of Judges that are just bizarre. There are stories of wickedness that even in our own day, are almost unprecedented. It just underscores and reminds us of the fact that sin is wicked. Sin is awful. Sin is horrible. And we look at the news, we look at the events of culture, the things that go on around us, and we think it's 
<coughs> excuse me, we think it's never been so bad. Well, I would encourage you to read the book of Judges. It's been awful. And it's awful now, there's no doubt. It really doesn't take a lot of spiritual sense to recognize many of the parallels between the culture of Ruth's day and the culture of our own. You remember the, the mantra, uh, the chorus almost, that rings throughout the book of Judges. There was no king in Israel, and what? Every man did that which was right in his own eyes. I would say that that's exactly what's going on today. Everyone does that which is right in their own eyes. There is a God in heaven. There is a ruler on the throne. But yet every man does that which is right in his own eyes. But despite the chaos that whirls all around, the book of Ruth is set, if you will, as a calm in the midst of the chaotic storm of the time of the judges. In this book, we see that God is still 100% in control of everything that's going on. God's still in control of everything that is going on. His providence is still ruling over all the affairs of men. There are many times that the Lord sends his people through very hard providences. Naomi and Ruth experienced this in chapter 1. There was a great famine in Bethlehem that forced her and her family to move away from the land of God, away from Israel, away from Bethlehem, into the land of Moab. And in Moab, she experienced a very hard providence in losing her husband, Elimelech. Naomi also lost her two sons, Malon and Kilian. She experienced separation from her beloved daughter-in-law, Orpah. Orpah very sadly chose to return to her idols, to go back to Moab rather than to serve the Lord. And no doubt that decision of Orpah was very heavy on Naomi's heart. Ruth, however, chose to serve the Lord. She chose to follow after the God of Israel, and she remained close with Naomi. And when we come to chapter 2, we find them returning back to the land of Bethlehem. In chapter 2, we have a shift from God's heavy hand of providence in chapter 1 to God's very kind and benevolent hand of providence. And this morning, what I want us to see from this second chapter of Ruth is the subject of God's providence in a bountiful provision. God's providence in a bountiful provision. And for this subject, I want you to see, first of all, God providentially directs the steps of his people. God providentially directs the steps of his people. For that, we really need to go back and read the very last verse of chapter 1. Look what it says here. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law with her, which returned out of the country of Moab, and they came, they came to Bethlehem. 
Now, it would be perfectly reasonable for an author of Scripture to put a period at the end of the word Bethlehem. But you'll notice there's no period there. There's another phrase. It says, in the beginning of the barley harvest. In the beginning of barley harvest. Now, you read that little phrase, and you can analyze this from a couple different perspectives. From a literary perspective, if we were dealing with the Bible as we would deal with any other book as a piece of literature, from a literary perspective, that little phrase serves as a transition in the story to set you up for what's about to happen next. And so from a literary perspective, it just gives us information. From a humanistic perspective, it's a happy coincidence. But yet we don't approach the scriptures as simply a piece of literature on its own. We obviously don't approach the scriptures from a humanistic perspective. We come as believers in the one true and the living God. And so from a theological perspective, this statement is one of God's providence. Leading his people to the right place at the right time. The Lord is in the details. And he's taking care of everything. Naomi and Ruth were poor. There was no man in their life to provide for their needs. That's not a a sexist, chauvinistic comment to make uh, in the year 2023 from a preacher. I don't mean it that way at all. You understand the cultural implications of what was going on here. Women in the Old Testament times unfortunately, were viewed not much better than a piece of property. They, they were viewed not much higher than a mule or a camel or a cart, for that matter. And so Ruth and Naomi by themselves were in quite a delicate situation. They were very poor. They had basically nothing to themselves And the Lord brings them back to Bethlehem at this very specific time. It wasn't the dead of winter. It wasn't the planting season. It wasn't the end of the harvest when everything had already been gathered up. It was the perfect time for the Lord to provide for them a provision that would supply all that they need. Theoretically, a month sooner or a month later, and they could have starved to death. But yet the Lord brought them to the right place at the right time in his providence. And we see God providentially directing the steps of his people. The Lord promises to do this for his people. You are very familiar with Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not on thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he shall direct thy paths. The Lord has promised to do this very thing. The the Lord has told us that his word is a, a lamp unto our feet and a light to our pathway. And so the Lord does direct his people. But we see further direction that's given here in this chapter. You look at verse number one of chapter two. At the beginning of the chapter, we learn about this man named Boaz. 
This man that Naomi knew, Naomi knew of Boaz. Naomi knew where Boaz lived, as it were. But Ruth had no idea of this. Boaz was a very wealthy man and also a near relative of Elimelech and Naomi. Like I say, Ruth didn't know anything about Boaz. She didn't know where he lived. She didn't know his field from somebody else's field. But Ruth up one day tells Naomi that she's going to go out and she's going to try to find some grain in a field. Now, we have to understand something of the the cultural implications here and also go back to the Old Testament Levitical law, the, the civil law that God had given to his people to understand some of what was going on here. In Leviticus chapter 19, we see there the Lord had made a provision for the poor to be able to follow behind the reapers of a field and gather. It was actually against the law of God for a hired reaper to be meticulous and make sure that he went back behind himself and picked up every single piece of grain that he dropped along the way. It was actually according to God's law that if grain fell out of a bundle or straw was left, that it had to be left. It was there specifically for the poor. And though the law was in place, it's very clear if you read the book of Judges, the the time period that this is happening, that there were not very many people that were giving much attention to the law of God. The law of God was not being meticulously followed. There was not generally in the population a heart to serve the Lord and to follow his commandments. Everybody was doing that which was right in his own eyes. And so this would have been actually quite a dangerous place for a young, single, slave woman to find herself. Most landowners were not very favorable to poor people coming and trying to gather up the leftovers of their grain. They would actually send their own servants in to to act as these poor people to gather up all the the leftovers and and the droppings. But yet one morning Ruth sets out and she finds herself in this field. And you, you have to love the language of the authorized version in verse number three. And her hap was to light on a part of the field belonging unto Boaz. She just so happened to end up in Boaz's field. Of all the fields... Here's where she found herself in Boaz's. Is it irony? Is it coincidence? Or is it a sovereign hand of providence leading Ruth to the right place at the right time? What the situation would have been like in those days, there would have been very lar- a very large communal field one very, very large field. And different people in the city would have a particular portion of the field that was their responsibility that they were to plant and harvest in. And of the scores of sections of this massive field, the Lord and his providence took her to Boaz's portion of that field. 
And so we see the sovereign hand of God leading his people, leading Ruth to just the right place. We look at the story, and we know the story, and we just have to sit back and smile at God's good hand. Sit back and smile at God orchestrating all these things behind the scene to provide for Ruth and for Naomi. But we see more guidance, more of God's providence. He not only is guiding Ruth this whole time, but the Lord in his providence also guides Boaz. The Bible tells us that Boaz was a very wealthy man. He had servants to do his harvesting. It would have done for Boaz to never even go into the field. He had no need to be out there. He didn't need necessarily to go and oversee the harvest. He could have stayed in the shade and rested himself the whole time. But yet the Lord directed Boaz to go out into the field on this particular day, at this particular time, to that particular place in the field to see Ruth working and doing what she was doing, led him to ask the men, who is this woman? And the men gave the story of who she was and what she had done. It's clear from this chapter that God providentially guides the steps of his people. I could give you firsthand accounts in my own life of the way Lord, the Lord has guided me and my family over the years. If you've been a believer for any length of time, I'm sure you could recount back to me stories in your own life of how the Lord has led you in a sovereign particular circumstance and has directed your steps. The Lord provides for his people in this, this the sovereign provision and directing the steps for his people. But I want to move on secondly to see another aspect of this chapter, and that is that God uses means to accomplish his providence. God is in heaven, providentially directing all the things that come to pass. He, he has foreordained whatsoever comes to pass, our catechism tells us. But we also have to understand that God uses means to accomplish those purposes of his providence. And I want to point out two means from this chapter. The first one, I'm going to give you a warning from the very beginning. The first means that I want to point your attention to is one that is quite unpopular today. It's one that for some people is actually quite revolting. And they shy away from it and they run from it as much as possible. The first means that I want to point your attention to is simply the means of honest, hard work. The means of honest, hard work. That's a means that God used in this chapter to provide for his people. He didn't drop an ephah of barley out of heaven and it land at Naomi's doorstep. But the Lord used a means of honest, hard work. Look at verse 2. And Ruth the Moabite said unto Naomi, Let me go now to the field and glean ears of corn after him in whose sight I shall find grace. And Naomi said to Ruth, Go. And she went. We live in a culture, it, the United States might be worse, but the United States and Canada, you both, both countries have the same problem. We live in a culture 
where people want their needs met without doing any work. I watched a video just this past week of a young 20-something-year-old girl crying in a video about how hard her job was and that she never had any free time to do anything and just pouting and complaining about the fact that she had to go to a work she had to go to work like a regular person has to go to work they want to work very very little and make very very much everybody's looking for government handouts or some kind of government assistance they want all the benefits of labor without the actual labor but the lord provides for the needs of his people through honest hard work and in a sense we can say that what ruth was doing was exactly what she was supposed to be doing she was engaged in something that she was supposed to do And the Lord used that as a means to provide for her. It was a bountiful provision, mind you. But I wonder what had happened if Ruth had just simply stayed in bed that day. Had never gotten up and done anything. Had never put her, I don't mean to be silly in saying it this way, but had never put her work sandals on and gone out to the field and worked. What would she have gotten? Ruth obviously was not afraid of hard work. When you understand what she did in that day, it it was quite the feat. Put a grown man to shame, the amount of work that she did. Boaz's servants in verse 7 give us a little bit of this. She said, or they report what, what Ruth had asked. She said, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. So she came and this, this is what they're saying to Boaz about her, her work. She continueth even from the morning until now. She did take one break. Right? That's what the end of the verse says. She tarried a little in the house. She took one little water break. But she's been working all day, is what they told Boaz. This would have been a little booth set up out in the field, kind of a little water hut. But let's consider this point a little bit more deeply. Naomi, we learn in verse 1, already knew who Boaz was. We're assured of that when we come down to verse number 20, and Ruth returns, and Naomi is shocked at what Ruth brings back, and Naomi asks Ruth basically, where in the world have you been, and how did you get so much grain And Ruth says, I was in this field of this guy named Boaz. And Naomi says, he's one of our kin. He's one of our near kinsmen. Now, I point that out just to underscore the fact that when Naomi returned to Bethlehem, we don't see her returning to Bethlehem and head straight to Boaz's house knock on his door and say, hey, I've come home, I'm poor, give me something. She didn't do that. She didn't come seeking a handout from her rich relative. But no, 
the means that God used for this bountiful, bountiful provision for his people was the means of hard work. Ruth took up her basket, she went to the field, and she began to work. She did what was according to the law allowed. God had made a provision for this very scenario for the poor to be able to gather and and get grain for themselves to provide something of their sustenance. This was one of the civil laws that was a manifestation and a teaching of the moral law. Specifically, we can drill down to the sixth commandment, thou shalt not kill. And one of the ways that God taught his people what thou shalt not kill looks like was this provision in the civil law to leave these ears of corn in the field so that poor could come and and gather those so that life could be sustained. Thou shalt not kill also means thou shalt preserve life. And so the Lord was was teaching his people what this looks like to, to be kind to your neighbor, to love your neighbor, to provide for the needs of your neighbor. If Ruth had never gone to the field to work, she would have never met Boaz. If she had been lazy, she would have never met Boaz. One thing that we can learn here is that there is no shame whatsoever in being in need. Look at verse 13. She, Ruth is now having this interaction with Boaz. And she said, let me find favor in thy sight, my Lord, for thou hast comforted me, and for that thou hast spoken friendly unto thine handmaid, though I be not like unto one of thine handmaids. Now, the word that we have translated there in verse 13 as handmaid, it's not the same word for a slave, but really the idea is the same. There were servants on one level, and then there were slaves that were at a lower rung of the the social society than the regular servants. Ruth identified herself as a slave that does not even compare to the rank of Boaz's other slaves. She's communicating to Boaz her humility and her humble state and her humble position. She's acknowledging that she doesn't deserve anything. There's no shame in being in need. There is shame in discontentment. There is shame in laziness. There is shame in a rebellion against the providence of God's circumstances. There is shame and there is sin in those things. But there's no shame in poverty. There's no shame in being in need or want. Ruth, though, uses the means that God has provided, the means of hard work. But there's a second means in this chapter that we can't overlook. And that is the means of a wealthy man. The Lord uses Boaz as a means for this bountiful provision. The Bible says that the Lord is the one who gives men the power to get wealth. The best thing that you can ever learn to do with your resources is to use them for the Lord's service. I don't know your situation. I don't know the economics of this church. I don't know the economics of the families that are in this church. But I can tell you this, one of the marks of a man's sanctification, 
or a woman's sanctification. But one of the marks of sanctification is when your treasures become your tools. When you come to the place to understand this that God has blessed me with is not for me. This that God has blessed me with, the Lord has enabled me to be a means to bless others with it. Generosity, unfortunately, is a rare virtue. It's hard to find those that are truly generous, those that are truly kind with their resources. This is kind of a side note here, but I would ask you the question, why do you want more money? Everybody wants more money, right? I mean, you'd be kind of a fool not to want more money. But why do you want more? What's it for? Is it so that you can have a grander or more comfortable existence? Is that why you want more? Is it just to consume it upon yourself, to consume it on your own lusts, as it were, to use some biblical language here? Or is it so that you would be more strategically placed to help the Lord's work better? Is that why you want more? Why do you want a bigger house, a better car, a nicer this, that, or the other thing? Is it just to make you look good? Or do you see yourself perpetually as the servant of the God of heaven? And I'm here to serve him. And what's mine is his because he's given it to me anyway. And my resources are for the Lord. And I want to help the Lord's cause. I want to help the Lord's people. I want to advance the kingdom. However, I can advance the kingdom. It might be in a very small way. It might be in a widow's might kind of way. Or it might be in an alabaster box of ointment that represented a year's wage that was broken out and poured over the Savior's head. The Lord used Boaz, the Lord used this wealthy man in this situation to abundantly provide for Naomi and for Ruth. Under normal circumstances, a gleaner in Ruth's situation would do well enough to provide food for a day. But I want you to read something in verse 17 that we just read over. It doesn't mean anything to us because we don't measure things this way anymore. Verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until even and beat out that she had gleaned and it was about an ephah of barley. Now, you don't go to a superstore or save on foods or any place like that and buy your groceries by the ephah. You don't even know what an ephah is. In today's measurement, it would be about two-thirds of a bushel. Now, fair enough, unless you spend a lot of time at a farmer's market or sell at a farmer's market today, we don't deal with bushels either necessarily. But I can break this down for you a little bit better. It would be somewhere in the neighborhood of 15 and a half kilo of barley. 15 and a half kilo of barley. Now, I'm not a professional baker. I love baking. Before the Lord called me to the ministry, I wanted to be a chef. And so I cook a decent amount. I have a bread recipe at home that calls for 
16 ounces of flour. I'm from the United States. I don't use grams. But it's a pound of flour. Okay. So in, in my measurements, this would be around 35 pounds of flour. Convert it for you all, 15 and a half or so kilograms of flour. I could make 35 loaves of bread with what she gathered in one day. 35 loaves of bread with what she gathered in a day. We know from the story that behind the scenes, Boaz was very generous. He told his reapers, kind of drop some stuff on purpose for her. Make it easy on her. Let her have extra. But still, who would expect to go out and in a day get enough to provide for over a month when most that would go would barely provide for a day? It was a bountiful provision, no doubt. But the Lord used the means of this wealthy man to give this bounty. It was literally above and beyond what she could ask or think, the provision that she received. But I want to finish this chapter looking at it from another perspective. I want you to see chapter 2, and I want you to see the Lord's providence in this bountiful provision as a type of salvation. I want to look at this from a spiritual perspective, enough with flour and loaves of bread and and picking up corn. I want to look at it from a spiritual perspective. This bountiful provision is a type of salvation. We've really been looking at just the surface lessons of the chapter up to this point. But there's another message presented here in the chapter that I believe is important for us to consider. I'm not trying to over-spiritualize or allegorize necessarily the text, but really to take some imagery for us at face value. If we take Ruth as a picture of the lost sinner, and we take Boaz as a type of Christ, we see a beautiful gospel picture unfold for us here in this chapter. First of all, it shows us a sinner asking for and receiving great grace. We see a sinner asking for and receiving great grace. When Ruth sets out to this field, she knows it's not going to be an easy job. In verse 2, she tells Naomi that she's hoping to find grace in the eyes of someone who will let her in the field. Ruth is an outsider. She doesn't belong in these fields. She's not of the poor of Israel that the law's provision was for. Now, I didn't mention that earlier when I told you about the law in Leviticus 19. It really was for the poor of the children of Israel. Ruth was not an Israelite. Ruth is a Moabitess. Her name occurs 12 times in the book. Five of those times it's pointed out that she is Ruth the Moabitess. You could read that Ruth the heathen, Ruth 
the outsider. Ruth, the one that doesn't belong here. That, that's how Ruth is given to us here, emphasizing the fact she's not of Israel. If the landowners were not willing for the poor Jewish people to glean in their fields, well, surely not an outsider to come and glean. And so Ruth has found herself in a situation that had she not found grace, she would have perished. Had she not found grace, she would have perished. But look at what she says when she applies to the servants. She says, I pray you let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves. Ruth found grace in Boaz's field. Your spiritual circumstance and your spiritual condition is no different. If you don't find grace in the eyes of the Lord, you will perish. If you don't find grace in God's sight, you'll be buried under the weight of your sin. There is no redemption outside of the grace of the gospel. And just as Ruth, you will perish without grace. A second picture that we can see of salvation here is that it shows us that the Savior provides the sinner's need. The Savior provides what the sinner needs. The sinner can't provide that for himself. You, a lost person, you cannot provide salvation for yourself. You must have salvation from a Savior. And Boaz, as I've already mentioned, Boaz does exceeding abundantly above anything that Ruth could ever ask or think in the provision that's given here. But when Ruth comes to Boaz's field and is accepted there, she finds grace. Her needs are met. She's provided for in abundance. She finds a place of refuge. Verse 7, she was allowed to come in and tarry under this little hut, this place where she could have shelter from the heat of the sun, a place where water had been drawn and she could refresh herself. For you and me, we find refuge in Christ, do we not? We have the enemy that would bombard us. We have the world, the flesh, and the devil that would come against us. And where do we find refuge? Where do we find a place of safety? Where, where is for us a place of rest but in Christ? In Christ alone. Jesus Christ is our place of refuge. He is our strong tower. He is our shield from the enemy. He is the one who is the rest for our souls. We can point, push, sorry, push the, the imagery a little bit further here. I want you to see also that she finds the water of life. Look at verse 9. Let thine eyes be on the field that they do reap, and go thou after the men. Have I not charged the young men that they shall not touch thee? And when thou art athirst, go unto the vessels and drink of that which the young men have drawn. Now, these were Boaz's men. These were Boaz's hired servants who had a, a place where there was water that they had drawn. And she is invited to come and partake of this. This was not a place where everybody was invited to be. She was able to go there. Is Jesus not the water of life? Are we not told that over and over in the scriptures? He told the woman at the well, that if, if she would only drink of him, you remember that story in John 4, if you would only drink of me, you would never thirst again. 
Ruth found all the water that she would need there at the hand of Boaz. In Christ, we find all that we need at his, at his hand, at his side. Again, to push the imagery again, look at verse 14. The bread of life, she finds that. Boaz said unto her, at mealtime, come thou hither and eat of the bread and dip thy morsel in the vinegar. And she sat beside the reapers. Not at the end of the table as some kind of outcast, but she sat right among them. And he, that is Boaz, reached her parched corn and she did eat and was sufficed and left. Boaz himself extended this bread to her for her to eat, invited her to come and join at the table and to partake of all that she could desire. And it wasn't just a little bit. Look at verse, in verse 14. It says, and was sufficed and left. That word sufficed is a word that communicates in English, maybe not the same thing that it communicated in Hebrew. When, when we use the, the word sufficed in English, at least in my thinking, you might have a different nuance of this word in your mind, but at least in my thinking, to be sufficed is not the same thing as being full. Right? You go to a big meal and you eat and eat and you're stuffed. Right? I can't get dessert. I'm stuffed. Well, we wouldn't say I'm sufficed. We'd say I'm stuffed. Right? But if you're in a situation and all you have time for is just a little snack and you, you maybe grab a granola bar or something like that and a bottle of water, you're not full, but you're sufficed. It'll do until you get to the next meal. That's the way we use the word. <coughs> the Hebrew word's a little bit different. It's used in Genesis to describe the seven years of plenty. You remember when Joseph interpreted the dream for Pharaoh and the lean cows and the fat cows, and you remember that. And Joseph said that there would be seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine. That seven years of plenty, the plenty is the word here. The, the, the sufficing, right? But it's more than that, obviously. Ruth there at this table, when she was able to partake of this bread, she was full. She had all that she wanted. She had all that she could take. The point is that she had plenty to eat. She had all she wanted and all she needed. Is that not what we receive when we come to Christ? We receive all we need. The Lord provides for us everything and more that we could desire. You have to imagine that when Ruth got up from the table, the table was not empty of food. There was still food left. She could have come back for more. It was there. It was a bountiful provision. Plenty and to spare is what Boaz had. Some of you here this morning may have come to the conclusion in your own life that you're at a point that only a miracle will do. Kind of like the place Ruth and Naomi found themselves. Only a miracle will do. We're just going to scrape by and be miserable 
unless we find grace in the eyes of one to provide. You might be here this morning and think that you are at the end, the end of your proverbial rope, and only a miracle will do. Well, I'm here this morning to tell you that the Lord still performs great miracles. The Lord still bountifully provides for the needs of his people. The Lord gives us all we need. Not necessarily all we want to consume on our own lusts, but the Lord gives us all we need. And I think you know from your experience and from mine, the Lord gives us way more than we need. The Lord bountifully provides for his people. The Lord still does things for his people that are just simply unexplainable in human terms. The provision received. Naomi and Ruth received a bountiful provision and every single bit of it was directly the result of the providence of God. He's ruling over he was ruling over Ruth's affairs, Naomi's affairs, Boaz's affairs, and you and I can be very sure that he's ruling over ours as well. And so may the Lord help us to trust him day by day. I want us to close our service this morning going back to our hymn book to number 606. Number 606, safe in the arms of Jesus, safe on his gentle breast. What we'll do is we'll sing the first stanza. You'll see the refrain goes back up to the top. We'll sing the refrain just after the first stanza, and then we'll sing again after the last stanza, but we'll skip the refrain between the second and third. So let's stand, please, to close our service together, safe in the arms of Jesus, safe on his gentle breast.